It is hard to believe, but this is my fourth summer meeting with the council. How time flies. One of the best things about these meetings is the chance to hear from experts outside the world of education who provide insights into how the world of work is changing and how county vocational school districts can meet the challenge of preparing students for career pathways that continually evolve and change. Today is my great honor and privilege to introduce Jane Oates as our keynote speaker. Enticing Jane to make the trip up from DC is a major coup for us. Um, Jane brings a wealth of experience not only in workforce development but also in education. In fact, Jane started her career as a teacher. I don't have time to go into all of Jane's accolades and experience but I will highlight a few. Jane is currently the president of Working Nation, an organization created to educate and communicate the truths about the challenges of the fast-changing workplace that threatens to leave unskilled individuals behind. Prior to joining Working Nation, Jane served as Assistant Secretary for Employment and Training during the Obama administration where she led the Employment and Training Administration in its mission to design and deliver high quality training and employment programs. Prior to her appointment, Jane spent several years in New Jersey where she served as the Executive Director of the New Jersey Commission on Higher Education and as a Senior Advisor to Governor Corzine. She quickly became a well-respected voice not only in Trenton but across the state. On a personal note, I had the pleasure of working with Jane during her tenure in New Jersey, and I can tell you that her enthusiasm and her ability to work well with everyone inspired all of us. Governor Corzine brought Jane to Trenton from D.C., where she served nearly a decade as a senior policy advisor to Senator Ted Kennedy during his leadership on the U.S. Senate Committee of Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions. I hope you will join me in welcoming Jane back to New Jersey. Thank you so much. Do I have a, a stack up? Uh, yes. Oh. Good morning. Uh, please don't count up the years. I'll tell you, yes, I am over 60. Um, tell me. Oh, good. Thank you so much. Um, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, Judy and Jackie were both incredibly helpful and welcoming to me when I came to New Jersey because the worst part is not that I was coming from D.C., but I was from Philadelphia. So you know that Philly thing, you know, with the Philly sports teams and the New York sports teams really gave me some hard times here in New Jersey. People quickly asked who I was for and who I was against. But my time in New Jersey, uh, I will say, I don't want to, Nancy said it so well, I don't have to reiterate what she said. But one thing I will tell you is you are all much too humble. You don't take credit for things and you don't participate enough on the national stage. Some of the innovation that I saw during my time in New Jersey is really unparalleled. So please take Nancy's invitation seriously. In the world of career and technical education, in the world of county collaboration, and just in the world of looking at the individual needs of students, you're light years ahead, so many of your, of your peers. So don't be afraid to go 
out and talk about it because so many people could learn from you. And quite frankly, as people in education, we don't get the pats on the back that we deserve. And I would say all of you really deserve them. So please uh, take her, take her, uh, her, her invitation seriously. Okay, so this is going to be a little bit interactive. I hope you'll engage with me. I'm going to watch the time because I always hate time at these events. It means that we don't get time for questions and comments and I really want to save time for that. Oh. Not that much time. Okay, so technology is, is the culprit here, changing all jobs at a rate that we haven't seen before. And you'll see some of the statistics here. I deliberately use somebody like the Brookings Institute when I give statistics, because if you were to look at somebody like McKinsey, they say we're gonna be, we're gonna lose 50% of the jobs we have today. I think that's extreme, but when you look at a conservative think tank like Brookings, if they're say, saying that 36 million jobs are going to be forced to look at this exposure to rapid change, to immediate change, to changing 75% of the actual tasks that you do on a job, I think that's something to take notice of. Obviously, you know, your jobs every day are being impacted. When I was a teacher in Boston and Philadelphia, we used paper and pencil and the machines with the purple ink to make copies for students. Now everything is technologically based. You know, even your lesson plans, and many of you have the ability to put kids on technology the second they come into CTE. So what are the, the biggest thing that is in favor of what you've been doing is that competencies are replacing other credentials. Seat time is becoming passe, believe it or not. Students really across the board are gonna to have to demonstrate what they know. And the reason I point this out to you I'm preaching to the choir when I say that to you, but this could be the defining moment to force your academic colleagues to come and meet with you and really interface so that you can do a better job of integrating that academic skill with the technical skill. And you can see the speed. I mean, if you look at the number of jobs that had AI and machine learning, the end for that is really interesting. You know, you can say something increased 100%. There was one before last year and there's two now. That's an increase of 100%, right? But actually the increase was in the tens of thousands. The jobs listing on Indeed in 28, when you look at this time from 16 to 18, went from something like 25,000 jobs to 50,000 jobs in one year and then to 100 jobs the year, 100,000 jobs the year after. Schools don't even know what machine learning is yet. We don't know what the jobs in machine learning are yet. We know, we said the same, I would say the same thing about cloud technology, which quite frankly is why employers like Amazon and AWS, their division on cloud, are giving things away free to schools because these corporations not only want to be terrific corporate citizens, but they know they are at a crisis point in terms of having the talent for today and really the talent for tomorrow. So it's a time when we can engage employers at a much greater rate than we've been able to in the past. If you look at that second bullet point, and for those of you who have heard me speak before, I don't take it out of decks, because if you think about that, if you think about in 2018, 87% of all the data that existed had been created in the last two years. Think of all the data we have 
and what what that means that we've always been collecting birth data and driver's license data and business data and graduation data just in our world not to mention the rest of the world but if you think that 87% had been created in two years, the amount of data that we're collecting is unprecedented. Almost hard to think about a number. And that's why I think, Judy, uh, you guys, you and, and Jackie were so smart that the, the panel that follows me will really look at data analytics. We really have to focus on that. And there I am uh, pressing a, a, a leader from another country, but I think his statement was really pretty, if I were still teaching it, be on my wall. The pace of change has never been this fast and it'll never be this slow again. It's pretty amazing. Not going to get easier, it's going to get harder. So what's driving change? Certainly globalization. Uh, globalization for me is a good thing. People that make things in this country could only sell them to 320 million people if we only had the United States as a market. But when we open it up to the seven plus billion people who live in the world, it's good for our businesses and it's good for us. In terms of talent, it's great for us. A kid that grows up in my home, they had Lambertville, New Jersey, a kid that grows up there doesn't have to just worry about jobs in Huntington County, Huntington County, Huntington County. Uh, Huntington County is a county in Virginia. Um, Huntington County, they can look at jobs all around the world. So globalization isn't just obviously there are it's making competition for jobs worldwide tighter obviously uh, it's making our our own products perhaps not seen as the the most likable in some countries but overall it's a positive I don't want to have uh, rose-colored glasses on there are negatives about it but overall it's a pos uh, positive technology we're going to continue to talk about AI I mean AI simple algorithms when most of us were in school, even the young among us here, algorithms were a word that you heard in math class and never saw again. The implementation of algorithms is what's creating AI. And people who fear AI uh, need to remember that you cannot program any computer today and probably for the foreseeable future to be creative, to be innovative, to sense, have human sensibilities. You know, facial recognition is very interesting, but they can't tell how you feel. You can fool AI really easily. Put on a fake smile and they think you're happy. Get a little tear and they think you're sad. Doesn't make any difference. But AI is changing our lives. You shop in CVS, automatically they know what coupons to give you. How do they do that? You know, you walk into a grocery store, and if you look on your phone, immediately they send you the offers that they know you've purchased before, and it's constantly changing. It's going to change jobs as we know it, from healthcare to tech to financial services to everything that we do, including nonprofits. You know, and I, this next one is hard in front of a room full of teachers, but I think it needs to be said. Our education is disconnected. Disproportionately, that disconnection is with the academic education. But I would be uh, not being completely truth-telling if I didn't say that even our career and tech programs can't be as connected as they need to be because of the speed of change because of the lack of funding, and I was thrilled to hear about the new funding, especially uh, here in New Jersey, that the governor's gonna put out there. Good luck on those applications. But you think about how do you hire a teacher in the summer of 19 who can meet the demands of the changes in 2020? 
It's very difficult. It's why, again, teacher professional development becomes more and more important. And in New Jersey, just like everywhere else, this shredding and creating of new jobs. I want to spend a second on that because for administrators and teachers, this shredding and creating is particularly hard. Why? Because the big job producers, you know, the big pharmas, the big financial service companies, even the big healthcare systems are not creating new jobs. If they were here, they would tell you that they're having tremendous problems backfilling for retirements, the utility companies, all of the local employers. But the new job creation is with small employers. It's, it's with entrepreneurs. How does a teacher, how does a CTE administrator get out and have the time to talk to each of these small employers who are going to double, triple, quadruple their workers in the next six to nine months? How do you get out to measure their needs? It is a time, in my opinion, where you as educators really need to depend on the trade associations for business in the state. You've got to let them aggregate this data for you and bring you the information. There's just, it's just not possible to get to everybody. The, the development, it used to be so easy to go to fill in the bank, blank, Johnson & Johnson, J.P. Morgan, any of those big guys and say, what are your needs going to be? and we're going to fill those needs. Now, there's not a one stop anymore for any county. Your base employers have hopefully are continuing to stay in your counties, but they're not growing new jobs. They're telling you what the old jobs were, and normally they're telling you job titles. Not going back to that first slide that I showed you, they're not telling you the competencies. Because when I retire, I'm going to look very different skill-wise than when I was hired, even if I was only at a company for a few years. Because like every one of us, these, these jobs are changing and the employees are learning on the job. And the HR people are looking at their job title and what they needed to qualify when they entered the company, not at the skills they've acquired as they're leaving the company. So this conversation gets more and more complicated. And of course, you know, I think we would be remiss if we didn't say there's just a talent shortage. Whether it's in an area like welding around the country, or whether it's in an area like coding, you know, looking for Ruby on Rails coders or Java coders. But the complexity is, and if I haven't said this already, I will say it and say it again, labor markets are local and solutions are local. So I just left the Silicon Valley two weeks ago and they were crying that they had a shortage of welders. At our convening, we had the people from the, the, tech, co the tech college in uh, California as well as the high school and they said, well, we graduated 60 welders last year and you're not even looking at them. The reason? They needed welders who knew something about particle physics. I don't know about you, but particle physics was not in my high school curriculum. Okay, so where are the new jobs? You know, uh, the first thing that I put on here is, and there's a good reason, cybersecurity today, nationwide, has 67,000 job vacancies at the entry job level. 67,000. That data comes from CompTIA. They put it out uh, weekly. So if you think about that, 
entry level. You can't be a cybersecurity ma uh, manager until you've been in the field for six years. You can't qualify for that that high level of CompTIA certification until you've been in the in the industry for five years. But this this is entry level jobs. Kids coming out of high school, out of technical schools, out of technical colleges can get into cybersecurity easily. New Jersey is no is no uh, oddity there. There are as many jobs in New Jersey. The last number I could get was from April, and there were 1,300 empty entry-level jobs here in New Jersey in cybersecurity. Again, that data from CompTIA. Healthcare, you've done a great job on this. You, as a sector in career and technical education, in 2015, I think, which was the last year I saw the NCES data, 37% of all CTE programs were in healthcare. And you've gone from just uh, doing isolated things to creating real healthcare academies. I've been to several in New Jersey, they, they're world class, and I've been to many across the country. They're doing things like not only getting people on pathways to be RNs, BSNs, uh, and things like that, but they're also, in many of them, looking at medical devices. How do you train a kid to marry medical terminology and medical expertise language with technology so that they can and do certain things that we don't even consider yet. You know, when I was at labor, there was nothing called a wearable. A wearable was this. But now in healthcare, wearables are the rage. Whether it's Fitbits or whether it's devices that measure your blood pressure or take your sugar automatically, this is the wave of the future and it's a wave that career and technical education has got to ride. Do not, we cannot turn away from healthcare because basically healthcare has, healthcare as a sector has added jobs every month for 82 consecutive months. So it is not the time to turn away from healthcare. AI, we've talked about a little bit. Software developers, you know, people first thought that software developers would be a wave and that wave would crest and ebb. And now, unfortunately, what we're seeing is software developers, software engineers, software techs, still a job in high demand. Cloud and machine learning, we talked about a little bit. Developers, we talked about, and data analytics, which you're gonna hear a lot more about. So what does every student need and certainly career and technical education students have many of these steps before any of us uh, thought about making a, a slide like this. So academic skills. There's no question that academic skills are never going to go away. You have to be able to be a good reader for compre comprehension. You have to be able to read with critical reading skills. You have to have great math skills. You have to have common sense skills as well in academics. Like how do I apply what I know to what I'm doing? And you do that every day. That integration is, is the DNA, really, of career and technical education. But how do we do it better? And again, you heard my bias. How do we push the academic teachers to realize this isn't a CTE teacher's, teacher's job? It's everybody's job. That algebra teacher has to work with you, whether at your school or at the home school, and integrate some of the things you're doing into what they're teaching into their academics. I will tell you, back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, when I was teaching, it used to break my heart when a kid would say, to my teacher next door, I was a reading teacher, uh, developmental reading, they would say to the math teacher, Miss, why do I have to take algebra? You know, what am I going to do with algebra? And instead of giving that student specific reasons and applications for algebraic concepts, they were often sent to the principal's office. 
If you don't want to be here, don't be here. That's really a missed opportunity, both for the teacher and the student, and for all of us losing that talent. Technical skills, okay, you could teach me on that. You're the experts. Personal skills, you know, we talk about these, what are they? Yes, are they dressing appropriately, wearing your safety equipment? Are they how to work in a team, communicate? Absolutely, get there on time. That's all part of what we do. But we have to learn to take it a step further. How do you accept differing opinions? I come from the policy world. 50% of the people disagreed with me. I'm surprised 50% of the room didn't leave after they heard Kennedy, Corzine, Obama. You know, I mean, but you have to be able to figure out how on a work site, how do you take what someone is saying to you, whether it's praise, whether it's constructive criticism, whether it's a differing opinion, and make that work on your work site. You can't storm out of the room when you disagree with somebody, and yet many of the young people and the not-so-young people that we teach, that's the way they respond. If you don't agree with them, if you don't think they did it right, they're not willing to figure out how to adjust their behavior, to adjust their technical skill, to listen to other expertise. That, to me, is one of the biggest personal skills missing today, and it's very hard to teach. You know, because you, you get the kids for a 90-minute block or a 120-minute block, and there's so much to get done that you just don't get to that. I would say to you, model it. Make mistakes yourself and let them correct you and model the behavior. Model how you're learning from them the same way. It's an easy way, but I'm sure you'll have a hundred better suggestions for me. Employability skills. You know, this, I, these really meld, but employability skills are those skills that also, all, everything I said, and your technical skills, but how do you sell yourself? How do you go into a job interview and talk about the skills and competencies and knowledge that you've amassed in your 17 years and sell that to the employer? And we as teachers, we as administrators, have to figure out a way to fit that in the schedule while kids are learning. It can't be the dump that we give them the day before the interview because they're too nervous to listen to us. We have to give them opportunities to practice that elevator speech, to practice how they can demonstrate to that employer that they have the skills to really knock that job out of the park. They could do a job that's unmatched without being you know, boastful. But how, what kinds of things do they select to take if it's a job interview, and look, I absolutely know that today most people don't get a face-to-face -face interview. Most of the, the shelling out really is done by a software program. And if you don't have the right words in your resume, you don't even get to go to the work site. So I think teaching kids how to do it in print, but also how to do it in person, really is an employability skill that we need to spend some more time on. And entrepreneurial skills. If the data is correct, and it's always predictive data so you never know, at least half of us are going to have to create our own job in the next 25 years. So if we don't spend time talking to young people, they might not start their own job at 18, uh, their own company, their own work, but the probability is that they're going to have to do that moving forward. You heard Nancy. She left her full-time job and now she's a gig worker. 
She's working for Case. She's working for ACTE. You know, that's what's going to happen. And if we don't teach young people that that is the probability in their future, that they're going to have not work for one employer 40 hours a week full-time with benefits. That's probably not what they're going to have for the majority of their life. They're going to have to piece together things as a gig worker. They're going to have to work as a contract worker. Or they're going to have to look at a problem in their industry and develop a solution with their own skills and abilities. So in the world of us, a lot of times that means you, many of your colleagues probably have gone out to be consultants. And if they don't know how to market themselves, if they don't, if they're just going to go out to people who were their friends before when they were working full time with benefits, then they're probably not going to be very successful as consultants. Because marketing yourself is really important. Using social media to market yourself, whatever the skill sets may be. But these young people are looking at a 50 year career where they're probably going to have to use that, that, those entrepreneurial skills many, many times. All right, what's the new education? You know, we've been through a lot of this before, so I'm not going to... Everything on here is really, the, to me, the definition of career and technical education. Industry-led and driven. So you're already doing that. My question to you is how do you do it better? How do you deepen and broaden your industry connections? Because what's happening in our world is coming to education quicker than we had thought. The silos are breaking down. I, you know, poor silos. You know, I always, I don't want to be a grain silo because we always use them as a negative example. But, you know, we used to be able to fit very neatly. You're going to be uh, a technician. You're going to be an auto mechanic. You're going to, we had neat little categories. Not happening anymore. You can work in healthcare and be in the tech industry. You can work in the tech industry and have been trained in the healthcare industry because they need your skills and expertise. So these technology started it, but some of the other things that I've put up there, there's no such thing as a cybersecurity silo. If you're a cybersecurity professional, you can work in government. You can work in the private sector, you can work in the banking sector, you can work wherever you want because all of them need those cybersecurity professional skills. The same thing with data analytics. And again, the panel's going to talk about that. There's no such thing as a data analytics sector. You work for a company and analyze data. And that could be Target or again, it could be Citibank and everything in between. So for, for us as educators, training our people for an industry is 20th century. Training them with a skill set that can go across industries. So instead of thinking vertical, think horizontal. There used to be one horizontal and that was tech. But I would say there are now numerous horizontals. I brought cyber and data analytics. You may have others. Um, the, the other piece, and again, I know some of the county uh, tech schools do uh, different variations on this. But you're going to have more and more opportunities to have adults coming back to you for their continuing education. If you're open to that. Because quite frankly, you know, they don't want to go back to some place that they weren't successful. Whether it's a four-year college or a two-year college. And they may feel that you're the place to go. I, again, open that to you as the age of 
high school people is going to our little high school population piece if you look at the birth rates and entering kindergarten rates the population is declining for uh, for k-12 educators for the next 12 years so it may be in your county to really stay on top of things especially with employers you want to bring those adults, either incumbent workers or dislocated workers, into your facility and to stack those credentials in a way that could, because look, nobody does experiential learning better than you. Nobody does skills-based learning better than you. And quite frankly, nobody does acceleration better than you. I never have visited, and probably at this point, hundreds of CTE classes. I've never been to one where they said, no, you have to wait until tomorrow to do that, if they're in the middle of a project. People finish their project. People, if they're in the middle of doing something innovative, the teacher doesn't say, oh, no, you can't do that. That's tomorrow's lesson plan. Where in academic education, that's pretty much the rule. So if people, if different people want to come to you, I hope you're open to it. I want to give you a new phrase. I, I always like to give people new phrases I, because uh, when I'm speaking to a room full of experts like this, I can't give you new answers. But humanics. If you have not read Joseph Ayun's book, he's the president of Northeastern. Very, very interesting guy. Uh, his book uh, really talks about, and you know, Northeastern is of course a four-year college, a, a research one institution just like uh, Princeton and Rutgers and now, thank God, NJIT in this state, all research ones. Uh, but he he really puts these skills down in a very interesting way. I, I quote him because I use this a lot and I don't want people to think I'm smart enough to think of it by myself. Think about that systems thinking. Think about, you know, when auto, when old auto and new auto, it's all about systems thinking, right? Healthcare, it's all about systems thinking. You know, you have something and you think about... You think about that as putting that to work in your work and learning life, so you understand something, you kind of navigate the, you through it, you work effectively then in complex systems. You can move that way. If, if you think about letting, you know, articulating to kids, one of the things I did very poorly when I was teaching, and, and I look back on it now, is I never really explained to kids beginning to end. Like why you had to do this to get to here. Or why you wanted to be here and this, these are the steps you have to do in order to get there. It, the only time I did it was when they were trying to get their driver's license, when they were trying to pass the written test. You know, you have to do this to get there. But if you think about this, it could change the way you think about explaining the world to kids. Of course, notice uh, he stole entrepreneurship from me. But this idea of cultural agility, really interesting in his book where he talks about you know, it's not recognizing, you know, I'm an older white woman and you're a younger man of color or we have cultural differences. No. It means, can I move from being part of a peer group to talking in a way with my supervisor, to talking in a way with a step up, my supervisor's stu supervisor. Do I know how to navigate the differences in language, the differences in posture? So in a school, how could you do it? I mean, you have a teacher, you have a department chair or a department head, you have an administrator. How do you talk to your kids about how they explain their work? I'm not talking about saying, good morning, sir, good morning, ma'am. I'm talking about, I just, 
accomplish this. I just made a major move in my learning journey. How do I talk about that with people at different levels? How do I talk about it with my parents? How do I tell my parents that they put me in this health academy because they thought I was going to go to Rutgers and become a doctor? And I really like working with my hands, not necessarily my hands in somebody's innards, but my hands on things that could make and create, that I really want to not just say, well, thank you for coming in and for your appointment and being here on time. I want to create a device that changes your life. I want to create the next Fitbit. I I want to create the next exercise machine that helps keep you healthy. How do I say that to my parents and not have them say, you have to go to four-year college, you'll never be a success if you don't go to four-year college. That cultural agility is extremely important because particularly, I speak from my own experience, my parents were in new immigrants, it doesn't matter what color your skin is or what language they spoke. New immigrants and people who were denied access to educational opportunity all feel the same way. The only way to succeed is to get more education. And that may have been true in the 19th and 20th century. I'm not sure that that, that, that path to education is as clear cut because the new way to the new wealth is through skills. And parents don't understand that. My getting a degree, when I went to school, my immigrant parents told me they would pay for college, but I had to be a teacher or a nurse. Were they, were they wrong? No, it served me well my whole life, but they were limiting. And the parents that you deal with in many cases are limiting as well. They see what they know, and they don't know any more about the 21st century than any of us. And in many cases, across socioeconomic levels, they know less. They only know what they know, and you as a teacher and administrator know so much more. Okay, so here's the new normal. So you see the career in technical academy always worked with academics, technical skills, and high school life. What's it going to be? And industry, I don't want to minimize, but the industry is going to become so much more important. Many of you, when I was here, you know, I saw the county colleges interacting with many of you, better in some counties than others, not to be, you know, but you've got to work with them because sometimes your high school colleagues are not going to have the academics that you need as in particle physics. And colleges and universities, how do you get, NJIT is a different story, so let's put them off on the side. How do you, because they're, they're aware people of technology and academics and the, the integration there, but how do you get Rutgers to respect career and technical education? How do you get NJIT, uh, teach CNJ to respect career and technical education? How do you get Rowan, you know, as they in incorporate with the two community colleges down there, the county colleges, how do you get them to not just see uh, Cumberland and Gloucester as a two-year pathway to a four-year degree at Rowan and get them to really look at the integration? And you may tell me they already are, and that makes me feel great. But how do we make sure they know that they're not creating another obstacle if kids need to fastly go in there and take one course, again, in particle physics? Okay, what are the right measures uh, for you? You have to tell me. It's always been pathways to post-secondary. How many of your students, and you know, I hate to tell you this, but as I go around the country, the people who want these, how many students go to a four-year college are real estate people. 
They want to sell houses based on this school district sends this percent of their students to uh, four-year college. Can I just say to you, I love real estate people. Some of them, I have some friends that are real estate people who became real estate people late in life. But is that really, do we want real estate to, and selling or buying houses to generate, is that really the only measure we should do? How do we push them? And I think we have, you know, I was just reading ROI and we have some industry people here. How do we get everybody to change the vernacular here? How do we say, absolutely, going to a four-year college is great, going to a two-year college is great. How about going right to work and making $40,000 right out of high school? How about that as a measure? How about the fact that business and industry is coming to our door because your door is broken? That they're coming to CTE because they can get the talent that they need? You know, what? how do we talk about the relevant credentials that people are earning? Some of the students that go through your programs are stacking those credentials already. They're getting cross-sector credentials at your institutions. That should be applauded. Dual enrollment should be applauded. I mean, I think the fact that there's so much dual enrollment in academics, there should be more and there should be as much, if not more, in technical education. Uh, the depth of employer partnerships. You should have your employers talking at community meetings all the time about how they could not live without your school. Because they say it privately. They should be saying it publicly, saying it loud and proud, and talking about the fact that they would not stay in your county if it weren't for you. Because you are an important talent pool for them. The only talent pool? No. An important talent pool? Maybe at times a critical talent pool? Yes. I've heard this all over the country, and I've knocked on doors of, of Cummins, of uh, Mercedes-Benz. I mean, I've heard them all say it and said, have you ever said this to the community? Have you ever said this at a community meeting? And they say, well, everybody knows. Everybody does not know. Get your employer partners to talk about how critical you are. Mentoring, again, really important uh, for these young people to see people who look and sound like them, who like the things they like in, in careers that they may not have thought of before. And of course, again, the, the repetitive uh, of work-based learning. What's next? Digitalization. Every employer I talk to is talking about everything being digi digitized. You know Iron Mountain that used to come and shred your paper? all digital now. They're digitizing everything. They cannot find the talent. More career exploration. Your academic partners are going to start talking about things in high school, like internships and co-ops and uh, getting into apprenticeship programs, words that you only talked about before. But you know why they're talking about it? Because they have to. And they should be coming to you as the experts. If they go down those roads, how do you do it? More concurrent uh, earning opportunities. So the reason I say earning is because there's going to be ways for young people to make money while they're learning. And the idea that people would hire for summer jobs was 20th century. The idea that they're going to hire people for year-round jobs is 21st century. The, I've seen all over the place students working after school from tech programs and working on Saturdays and Sundays. By the way, Google has a Saturday and Sunday program with high school students in seven states that I know of. It could be more by now. And literally, they're doing the tech work at 16 and 17, and they're making $17 an hour. So it's, it's a great way for students to do that. If New Jersey businesses aren't thinking about that and they have needs, they should start. Uh, 
uh, more opportunities for CTE teachers. You know, I've been a great proponent of externships for teachers, opportunities for teachers to go. In fact, at Labor, I funded uh, a couple grants doing this, teachers to really go and work in industry. Because even if you're a CTE, a CTE teacher that came out of industry and you've been teaching for 10 years, the world has changed. So look at this. I mean, I think I love all of these ideas. Obviously, you know that um, business comes in and probably doing it some years. I want to say I want to move fast because I want you to have a chance to talk. And competitions. I love robotics. I love Skills USA. I think more of that should be done on the local level and sponsored by employers. Thank, but now, I, not thank you yet because I want to hear some questions and comments. I have a few minutes, right? Mm. Two. Questions, comments? Oh, come on. You didn't agree with everything. Tell me what I got wrong. Tell me what I should add. Yes, thank you. Can you talk more about this idea of the economy? Um, you spoke a couple times about almost as if college degrees are kind of passe. Um, our, our senior belief that yeah, I don't. I think it depends on job title. I mean, I think in the 20th century, a bachelor's degree in anything got you entry to an employer. I don't think that's the truth in the 21st century. So I think, are there always going to be needs for? Are you going to need a college degree to be a teacher, to be a nurse? Nursing is a, a profession that I think is moving at meteoric speed to BSNs and not RNs, especially in hospitals. Doctors, lawyers, you know, I think all of those things. But I do think that people who went to college and came out with a degree in English and became a paralegal. I think paralegals are the, are the most endangered job that I see right now. I think they could be gone in 10 years. Uh, I think the same thing about accountants. So I think you really have to, because you look at what AI can do and what technology can do and many of the things, I don't mean financial advisor, I mean accountant. You know, so I think the, the jobs that are leaving are jobs that often were safe jobs for people with a generic degree from a four-year institution. And I think now, uh, it's, it's, is it still a path? Yes. Is it still an important path? Yes. Is it the only path? No. And could you conceivably uh, delay getting a bachelor's degree if that changes when your employer's paying for it after you have a job? Yes. I think the, I think the gig stuff is the stuff that bothers me the most because I don't think anybody's warning young people. And by the way, my son graduated from a four-year college and his he's in a gig world because he's a writer and nobody ever told him that you had to pay quarterly taxes. <laughs> Except his mother who rarely is right. And uh, I have to tell you, I would say three quarters of his friends are now in red line with the IRS. So they've been fined and identified as somebody who didn't pay their quarterly taxes when nobody told them they had to. And if it's not just Uber and Lyft drivers, it's writers, but it's, it's tech people, it's, it's becoming uh, more rampant. But I, I'm sorry if I gave you the impression that I'm against a four-year degree. I'm certainly not, and I think we have to be very careful that we don't say those people 
don't need a four-year degree. But our whole our whole vernacular has been that success is defined by getting that bachelor's degree by the time you're 22. I think that's what's different. I think that we have to respect different pathways to get to success and accept that success isn't a one and done. That really lifelong learning is here. And uh, if you're not about to go on that journey of continuous learning, you're not going to be successful. Yes, sir. Yes. A question I have, I've always been talking about this reality that school leaders have 20% of situation counts in the country. They're in their custody, 20% of the country. From your new role in viral, is there any advice that you take the group around the types of collaborations and relationships that you're building with, with industry, with nonprofits, yeah, that's really a good point. I mean, so, you know, people think of just younger people going to these after-school programs, uh, like Boys and Girls Club, like Citizen School, like JAG, whatever is in your area, and they're separate and distinct. And if there were some way, of course, time is the enemy. When do you do it? But is there some way that every year you bring them in when you're doing teacher development, bring all the providers in your local area, and just talk about what you're going to do that year, what you're, you, you don't have enough time to interact with them, but what are the things that would really be helpful that those nonprofits who are with the kids as much as you are in some cases, you know, how can they amplify and accelerate what you're doing? And at the very least, how can they do no harm? How can they not go against it? So what am I talking about? If you're talking about teamwork, you know, you want to make sure that that's one of the things the after school providers are doing and they're not just making the kids compete one on one. If you're talking about uh, time management, they're not saying the kid, oh, do whatever you want. No, no. We'd like you to get that done by Tuesday. So what do you have to do Monday in order to be ready to be finished out on Tuesday? So I, I think, I don't mean the academic part, but what's your mode of operation that those after-school providers could amplify and encourage for you? You know, so that it, when you're talking about something, they're hearing it from another caring adult. Uh, and by the way, one that they choose to go to voluntarily, not one that they have to go to. So I think those after-school and weekend people, whether it's coaches on teams, whether it's great programs, established programs like Citizen School, whether it's Boys and Girls Club, whether it's 4-H, whatever it might be, you know, figuring out how do you as an administrator bring them in once or twice a year and kind of give them how your school works. It's a great point. Thank you. Yes? Getting back to your topic or your discussion on the gig economy, I think one of the struggles that we have in education is that our teachers um, aren't part of that economy. So how would you recommend we go about sort of preparing students for this? Because we know that traditionally within education, teachers are very cozy and comfy. In many ways, they take a job at the age of 25 and they never move from that job right. throughout their careers. So how can those teachers really prepare them to the economy? If not what resources, like maybe your organization, would help? Yeah, I think, you know, this is some place where I would go to business and industry. There are, you know, your local business associations may know people who are really, will know people who are really doing this. I would bring in for the kids, again, once or twice a year, uh, different people who are doing different work and have them talk very specifically about the challenges and the opportunities. So, you know, what, what are the things they have to do on their own? Scheduling, doing their own bookkeeping, you know, paying their taxes quarterly. Um, but what are the opportunities? How 
how much are they making? You know, and, and what kinds of things could they do? And, you know, get the, then when those speakers leave, get to the kids and say, what kind of personality do you have? Are you somebody who really wants? For me, I have never been without a full-time job, personally, because that's how... I, I'm wired. You know, the idea, I tried for six months to have a consulting company, and you know what? I was really lucky. I had seven clients, all paying me very well, and I worked 40 hours a week for each one of them. I couldn't do it. You know, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to manage my time, so I only gave you what you paid for, because I had never thought about pay being associated with how much work I did. We're teachers, right? We work until the job's done. When your job's done, you're always looking for new things. So I, I, would, I would really say to you, are there, are there ways, would my, or you can use anything that's on our website anytime you want. Uh, that's why we do it, that's why I'm there, so that we get uh, foundations and things to pay for things and we don't have to charge. But I think the, the baseline is they can watch videos and see what that's like. But I really think some kids need to hear it from people. And again, the more you can bring people in to talk about those challenges and opportunities, I think it would really help the kids. And then help your teachers, because then some of the teacher development after that could be, wow, I could never do that. But these kids may really have to do that. They may want to do it, and they may have no other choice at some point. If there's business people here, please see him. <laughs> Thank you so much.